Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Readiness Webcast Series, held on December 16, 2019, Tax Readiness, the Final and Proposed Foreign Tax Credit Regulations. The panelists for the webcast were International Tax Services Partners, Mike DeFranzo, Mike Erse, Elizabeth Nelson, David Sotos, and Nini Dewar. This excerpt consists of a discussion of the overview of the proposed FTC regulations. Have a listen. Mike, I'm going to turn back. One of the things throughout all of tax reform is we've got a real quantitative task that's out there for, for taxpayers to go through, dig through the details. Um, so I'm going to ask, why is a study important here? Studies are really important. Um, and these regs don't change the need for studies. Um, you have to look at your total SG&A expenses and understand what's allocable to certain types of income, like your U.S. source income. Uh, you could have expenses that relate to your royalty income, which would be general basket. You want to understand your expenses that are allocable to FIDI income, and you need to know what you need to charge out under 482-9. Um, and you may get a rate uh, benefit from charging the higher rate country. Um, but you also need to know your stewardship expenses and specifically which ones are U.S. and which ones are foreign. Then you can apply this asset method to that foreign stewardship amount, presumably. Um, so it, it's important with all of the baskets we have to track. Okay, now we're moving to the foreign income taxes. Nini, can you take us through that? Yeah, so thank you, Mike. So the we talked earlier about how the proposed regs have rules on the apportionment of taxes, you know, the properly attributable to concept under the, the, the reform. And basically the proposed regulations um, move the general rules that are addressed in the 904-6 uh, provision to the, the new 861-20 rules. And, and they have a lot of um, general rules and specific rules that we'll go through a little bit um, further. But effectively, th there are three steps that, that you have to follow in allocating the, the taxes to the various um, uh, groupings of income. So the first step is to assign the item of gross income under foreign law that the tax was imposed on the so-called foreign gross income to the, to, the, to the specific grouping. And then the second step is to do the apportionment and allocation of the deduction against the income under foreign law. And there are some rules around you know, when there is a specific foreign law versus not, and then you have to look back at the U.S. rules. And then the last step, which is step three, is to apportion the, the foreign income tax to, um, to the various um, statutory and residual groupings. And I think the, the 904-6 provision is still relevant um, to, to allocate things into the specific category, but now we have the 861-20. Um, and I think that the reason they, that part of the reason they have this rule is also uh, because there are provisions outside of 904 that, that these rules would be relevant, and that's why they bring it out of, of 904 into 861-20. Uh, on, on the right-hand side, we kind of listed some of the specific rules that the Dash 20 provide, and we'll, we'll go through that in a little bit more detail. But, but effectively, the, the rules would look at the, the, whether there is a U.S. corresponding um, income, and then 
look at the various items that might be relevant, whether the, the recognition event is the same in the U.S. versus foreign, whether the, the, the income is excluded for U.S. tax purposes, whether the income is attributable to the base difference. Elizabeth alluded to um, the, the seven items uh, of base difference. If you're out of that and you have to look at different roles, and, and there's, there are a number of other specific roles which we won't have time to cover uh, that in this one-hour call, but, um, but, but just bear in mind that there are a lot of specific roles here. And, and these rules are proposed to uh, be applied uh, retroactively once uh, the rules are finalized to the tax year beginning uh, after 2019, so after uh, December 31st of 2019. David, assigning foreign gross income, the Dash 20 rules. Yeah, this goes to uh, what Nini just talked about on the previous slide uh, as far as step one of, of assigning the foreign gross income upon which foreign tax is paid. Uh, to a, a particular uh, category and then looking for uh, if you have the corresponding U.S. income um, that really, really drives where that tax is going to end up, uh, putting aside the uh, allocation apportionment of, of foreign law deductions. Um, the rules here uh, in, in Dash 20 are, are simplified on this slide, uh, but I just want to take a step back and recognize that the government has done a, a wonderful job uh, with the labyrinth of rules that they have uh, to deal with a variety of different situations. Um, and, and while it may not exactly be perfect yet, uh, it, it has come a long way and answered a lot of questions that were outstanding for many, many years. Um, specifically, when, when we run through this kind of big picture methodology, as, as Nini alluded to, we, we, we look to the foreign gross income and, and we ask whether there is a corresponding U.S. amount of income that's being recognized by reason of the transaction. Uh, and that either leads us in one or two directions. If there is, then we would generally look to how we would categorize that, that income from a U.S. standpoint, unless there is an ex the two exceptions over here. It's a it's arising from a distribution from a corporation or, or perhaps a sale of a disregarded entity. And then there are special rules in Dash 20 that uh, will, will apply to, to tell you how to assign that foreign gross income and ultimately that, that foreign tax. If there is no corresponding U.S. income, uh, then classically pre-reform, we would say, well, then uh, it's either a base difference or it's a timing difference. And here, uh, as, as Nini alluded to, there are specific items that are included in a base difference list, uh, many of, uh, two of which, uh, the gifts and life insurance proceeds were in a you know, publicly stated in administrative guidance and prior to reform were understood to give rise to a base difference. Uh, many of the others uh, were not previously referenced but it is good to have a, an exclusive list to be able to determine uh, when you are and are not in that rule. Uh, absent, absent the base difference uh, list, uh, then you need to look at special rules that are listed on the right side, whether the transaction is a non-recognition transaction or whether it's a, just a tax year mismatch where maybe the U.S. Uh, saw the event in the prior, immediately prior year uh, or Maybe the income is excluded from, from U.S. tax, such as tax-exempt interest. 
Uh, or is there a distribution from a corporation? Is there a disregarded payment, a disregarded sale? Um, and then they have special rules in, 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 that are designed to deal with foreign CFC regimes, which we will see a lot more of. And it's helpful to have those rules as well as reverse hybrid structures. Um, and so with that, kind of, you can see the special rules and the number of special rules that are there that make some of the uh, regulations challenging to go through. Uh, some of the language perhaps needing to be clarified, uh, but, but big picture, there are a variety of circumstances addressed and, and done so in a, in a very comprehensive fashion. Speaking of big picture, we're actually going to turn to a picture, even though that was words in boxes, you could argue was sort of a picture. We've got a picture here. Nini, could you take us through the example? Okay. So this is an example that is taken from the proposed regulations, and it will illustrate a couple of concepts within these rules. So in this structure, USP owns um, a foreign branch that, that is essentially a branch under the, the, the 904 definition. And the foreign branch transfers the uh, appreciated asset to the U.S. parent. Uh, the asset is worth 250 with adjusted basis locally of 100. So um, it recognizes the, for local purposes, 150 of, of gain. And the gain is actually taxed, um, uh, and, and they pay, the, the foreign branch pays $30 of tax on, on the gain. Um, and then local country also imposes $25 of withholding tax on um, the parent upon receipt of the, the asset um, uh, that was distributed, uh, which is value at 250 and, and the facts are that if the, if the foreign, if FDE just sold the assets um, for U.S. tax purposes for 250 FDE would have recognized um, 150 of foreign branch category income for our purposes. So when analyzing this, this, as I mentioned earlier, you start with step one, which is assigning the, the foreign uh, gross income into the, the category or the grouping. So starting with the, the tax, the $30 of tax on the, the 150 of built-in gain. So that one, uh, clearly there is no corresponding U.S. item because the transaction is disregarded. So the, the rules will tell us that uh, the income, you categorize the income based on um, what income uh, category it would be in if the income was recognized for U.S. tax purposes. And since we established that if FDE has sold the asset, it would have recognized you know, branch category income. So the income will be assigned to the branch basket, and then you follow through with the deduction, and then um, in step two, and then step three, to assign the tax to um, the, the foreign branch basket. And then when you look at the uh, withholding tax that is imposed on the, the, the distribution to the U.S. of 25, again, starting with the, the gross income um, uh, of the 250, which is the distribution under local law, and there is no U.S. Um, inclusion here because, again, disregarded transactions. So you go through the specific rules that are in the, the proposed regulations, and um, the distribution is going to be, uh, or the, the, the tax the income will be assigned based on the accumulated income of the branch. And, and the rules basically said you determine that accumulated income of the branch and, and, and and assign it based on the 
um, adjust the tax basis of, uh, of the assets of the branch. And therefore, essentially, you would look to what income that the assets of the branch would produce. And in this case, um, it would all be foreign branch. So again, the, the withholding tax would be allocated to the, the foreign branch basket. And, and, and when you think about that rule, you might think about where, oh, what if the, the FDE in this case actually own a stock in a foreign subsidiary, so a stock in the CFC that would have generated guilty income. So that could change the analysis because the rule basically tells you to, to look at the, the asset of the, of, the, of the branch. And so a, a, lot of, a lot of rules to go through. And then as David mentioned, um, you know, when, you, when you analyze the transaction, you have to go through whether you fall, what, what specific rules could apply. And if there are no specific rules, then you kind of go back to the, to the general um, timing difference rule. Yeah, and I, I think with this example, which is in the regulations, um, it's a good comprehensive example to illustrate two aspects, the corporate level tax that is imposed on FDE, FDE, I got that FDI stuff in my head, um, and, and on the distribution of the withholding tax, um, which is a, uh, you know, a foreign law distribution from their perspective, et cetera. Um, and so it has two different rules. What is interesting is this is, is kind of going north, I guess, from FDE to USP, and the same rules are applicable in the context where FDE is actually under a CFC. And, and the, previous, the example in the regulations that precedes this one um, actually illustrates that with a deductible payment, a deductible interest payment could have been, could have been a royalty, though. Um, the the uh, point that needs to be made, however, is that in the CFC context, where the payment is going down, mm -hmm. southbound, so to speak, from the CFC to the FDE, uh, which isn't as problematic when it's USP to FDE because uh, it's going to get in the right spot and you're going to be able to claim the credit. But when it's under a CFC and the CFC is making the southbound payment, the regulations provide a flat rule that that tax imposed on that foreign gross income goes to the residual category, meaning you're not going to get the credit for that. And the if that were a capital contribution, uh, and I don't think anybody would have a real problem with that because it's effectively, you know, perhaps like a, a, a base a base difference just under the CFC. The problem is, is that structures vary and you could have a, uh, the use of IP uh, being licensed underneath a CFC and the flows could go either way. Um, and, and so it really, if, if the credit is ultimately going to be based on the tax book value, if the payment goes northbound and it's deductible, such as a royalty, uh, there's, there seems to be no justifiable reason in my mind why the southbound deductible payment should also not give rise to a, 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 a tax that can be assigned and ultimately credited. So I, that is one area that I think that the... Uh, and the government, I think, has, has somewhat admitted it in a, a public context that the, this was based upon assuming it was a co capital contribution. But that assumption, I, I think this rule can be narrowed um, right. so, so that it, 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 it's appropriate because otherwise you're, 
you're 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 dictating how flows work, and you're requiring folks to restructure and, and do things that they shouldn't have to do to to get what effectively is a business expense, um, and, and it just shouldn't matter which way it's flowing when it's all disregarded, et cetera, and under the CFC. All right, so we've been through a whole lot, but there's a lot more in the regulations. So, Elizabeth, could you take us through some of the things um, that are out there that we haven't really covered yet? Certainly. So just to quickly cover these, um, obviously the bigger provisions were the expense apportionment and the base and timing difference rules, but there were also rules about litigation payments and allocating and portioning those expenses. Um, there weren't really any rules in the, there aren't any rules in the current regulations, and those can be big items that can affect your foreign tax credit. And so they've provided that, um, in general, those amounts, um, you know, which include damage awards, would be um, allocated to the class of gross income, um, which the product gave rise to, because oftentimes these arise from product liability. And then uh, the expense is apportioned generally on an asset method. There's also a net operating loss deduction provision. Um, currently, net operating losses are allocated in a portion based on the deductions um, that make up the NOL, but that rule doesn't say anything about the statutory and residual groupings. And so this rule would look to the year in which the NOL was incurred and look to uh, the statutory residual grouping where the deductions exceeded the income in order to then assign statutory and residual, uh, determine the statutory and residual components of the NOL as it carries forward or back. Um, and then there are also proposed regs under 905C. We talked about the final regulations, but there's proposed regulations. And these, importantly, I think, correct a mismatch um, that happened when 905C came in and foreign tax credits related back to the year to which they relate to, um, but the foreign tax expense didn't necessarily relate back. Um, under case law like Dixie Pines, one would say that the expense happened in the year in which the contest was resolved, and so there was a mismatch between the deduction and the credits, and this rule in the proposed regulations would match up that deduction for foreign tax, for taxable income and E&P determinations, and relate the expense back to the year to which the taxes relate and correct that mismatch. There are also provisions um, that were added with the ordering of the recapture rules. Um, and finally, the financial services entity and financial services income definition for 904 purposes is conformed to the active financing exception for subpart F. Um, this could have a beneficial effect for many of our clients for FDII because it would push income out of financial services income and potentially make it available for an FDII benefit. But it could have a detrimental impact for foreign tax credit purposes where uh, you may have been counting on the passive credits being swept into the general basket under the definition, and now they would be potentially excluded. So when you're looking at, at this question, um, and you know, you're, you put yourself back in the, actually you work both with the IRS and Treasury, put yourself back there, um, what do you think they need to focus on modifying here? Well, Michael get mad if I don't say his, uh, his pet issue. Um, <laughs> But, but, but I think Mike, the, and my answer may be different, you know, two weeks, three weeks from now, as we get more and more into these regs, there's a lot of regs here. Um, and, and really analyzing the impact of all the impacts uh, and, and levers that are, get modified, et cetera, is gonna take some time. But I deal primarily, uh, if not exclusively in the, in the foreign tax credit area and specifically in the, in the 
in the basin timing, you know, difference uh, area. And these these regulations do a good job of 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 addressing a lot of issues. However, there are still some uh, areas where some language uh, could really go a long way in, in clarifying. Um, you know, for example, there's a reference to a disregarded entity uh, or or other branch. Does that mean that the disregarded entity otherwise is a branch, or or does it just mean really a disregarded entity, uh, which which would be a literal reading based upon the definition? Um, and and there are there are a variety of of those types of things that would would clean up. There, I think, there's still uncertainty. Um, because of the way they, they've addressed foreign CFC rules and anti-hybrids of how to deal with some, some issues that, uh, that uh, cause kind of timing differences. Um, and, you know, payments, you know, payments by non-branches and, and to another non-branch and how, how some of those things shake out. Uh, because those, those things aren't necessarily contemplated. You're more, you're more concerned about what goes into a branch or doesn't go into a branch. And, and things that are totally outside of that context, uh, how that how that works. So so those are some of the rules I, that I think that they can they can get into in, in a further iteration. I, I think we're gonna we're spend another two years refining some of these. Oh, for sure. Okay, we're gonna move on to to takeaways. Nini, could you take us through the requested comments? Yeah. So Treasury is asking for um, you know comments, and the comment period is is you know ending quickly, so just be ready. Um, but a couple of key points here. So they want to, they, they want comments on uh, changes to the rules regarding the allocation of um, R&E expense and stewardship and also um, interest expense. So um, any comments there would be helpful. Particularly in the stewardship expense area, uh, I think there, there's, a, there's a request for exceptions um, where stewardship would be treated as definitely related to more uh, a more limited class of, of gross income, uh, that's a specific uh, request. And then there are also uh, a request on whether the the apportionment of stewardship expense should be made based on separate entity basis rather than an affiliated group basis. And and lastly, the third bullet point here is the the definition of stewardship expense. And there's a question of you know what is stewardship versus the supportive expense. Um, something that I think a lot of people are looking to in in their you know calculations on what is stewardship expense to be allocated. And on R and E, um, uh, there's a comment request on whether a different classification method rather than the SIC code um, should be used. It would be more appropriate whether contract R&D expense um, uh, that is reimbursed by um, a, a, an affiliate uh, should be considered 174 um, expense, which would be subject to allocation, because th th there's a question of whether that actually is a deduct, deduct like a 174 expense of the company. And then um, lastly, whether any special rules should be considered for R&D expense. Thank you. Just as we're moving to our key takeaways, I just want to say there is uh, there's a short time frame for comments to come in, and Treasury has been holding people to that. Um, they are moving at a brisk pace and getting guidance out. So right here, I've got a slide that's got some key takeaways identified. But rather than reading through the slide, I would like to go around the table a little bit here, and I want to ask uh, each of you um, what you think the key takeaways are and see if you can do it. This is a lightning round. This is less than a minute. We'll see if we can get through your key takeaways. So Elizabeth, we'll start with you. 
I just think shift your paradigm. People don't think, uh, don't want to amend returns, but I think we are in now in a, a mode where we'll have to amend returns pretty much on an annual basis. David, your key takeaway. I, I think most immediate issue is taxpayers that have excess foreign taxes in the general category. Uh, OFLs or SLLs, or separate limitation losses or overall foreign losses with respect to the general category, either from the general category or to the general category and, and NOLs that have a component from the general category. These rules provide flexibility, uh, but uh, if you uh, elect reconstruction for any one of those, you've got to use reconstruction for or safe harbor for all of them. Um, so it's either general rule for everything or reconstruction or safe harbor for everything. And that's great that you can do something other than reconstruction. But if you use uh, a safe harbor, uh, you know, not all of them necessarily are, are uh, necessarily helpful and may require recapture of income on a first come first serve, serve basis. Um, so it, analyzing all of that is, is going to be important. Okay. Mike, all the way down at the end here, I can almost guess what you're going to say. You're not going to guess what I'm going to say, but I have multiple <laughs> takeaways. First, I think most people have uh, R&D expense, right. and they need to really understand how these new rules are going to affect their general basket. Um, they need to also think about whether they want to elect these proposed regs early. Um, and if they do that, how's that affect FDII? Um, I think they should also look at stewardship, make sure that they're applying the proposed regs correctly using an asset method. Although they don't become effective till 2020, uh, people should start to think about that for their provisions, which are just around the corner. And, and I'll just throw this in. I think uh, I would encourage people to make comments. Um, talk to the government about how R&D expense allocation is affecting your FIDI. They, I think they want to hear. And secondly, they called out uh, capitalizing interest, uh, right. advertising and R&E expense as a potential asset for interest expense apportionment. So yes. create another U.S. asset to help your interest expense apportionment. So comment on that. Okay, Nene, if you can bring us home on that. I'll just speak to the allocation of taxes to the various baskets because now it's still important guilty to you can't carry it forward so the, the proposed rules in the dash 20 has a lot of rules there and and it could impact targeted transactions that they have in there but it could also impact you know just mundane ordinary transaction distribution from foreign subsidiaries you know whether it's a regarded distribution disregarded distribution disregarded payments between you know uh, branches of CFCs and things like that. So something to, to really um, understand the rules and go back and look at the transactions and how it impacts the calculations. Thank you for listening to this Tax Readiness Podcast. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details.
This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.